Do you feel like you're barely keeping your head above water? That no matter how hard you try, meaningful progress remains out of reach? Heather gets that. She battled an eating disorder for years before seeking help. Now in recovery, Heather is here to tell you that positive change is possible even when it doesn't feel that way. Join her as she shares openly about her struggles and small triumphs. Fair warning, though. Heather doesn't hold back. Her candid story may trigger some. But for those wanting honesty, hope, and healing, this is 1% Better with Heather. The information and stories shared on 1% Better are based on host Heather's personal experiences with eating disorders and mental health challenges. Heather is not a licensed doctor, therapist, dietitian, or other health professional. Her advice and opinions should not be taken as professional medical advice. Please consult your physician or a qualified health provider regarding any medical or health-related issues. 1% Better also contains descriptions of eating disorders that may be triggering for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Hey there, my little gaffers, and welcome to 1% Better with Heather. I am so excited for this next series of episodes. I will be interviewing Recovery Mom, as she's known on social media. I have a special connection with Recovery Mom. When I was at my sickest, I had a different social media account, and one day this woman popped up. I was immediately drawn to her. I fully believed that this was the universe trying to get my attention. I would watch her videos on loop all day long. She was around my age, she was fully recovered, and she had all the answers. From then on, she became my Yoda. There is no question you can ask her that she does not only have the medical answer to, but the mental health answer as well. She breaks everything down so eloquently with her sweet demeanor. She gives you your medicine with a spoonful of sugar. Recovery Mom is here to give back to the eating disorder community. She is the big sister you need. She has a heart of gold. And I'm privileged to call her my friend. Without any further ado, please welcome Recovery Mom. Hey there, my little gappers, and welcome to 1% Better with Heather. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Recovery Mom, as she's known all over social media. She is my Yoda. I will go to the ends of the earth saying she is the one that saved my life, and I'm forever grateful. I give you a kidney, but I think my kid needs it. So <laughs> kidneys out. But I, I can't thank you enough for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Heather, for having me. And I love that you're doing this. It's amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, so let's dive right in. Let probably the number one thing that most people starting eating disorder recovery is, and I can only speak for myself, but I don't think I'm alone on this, is I want to recover, but I don't want to gain any weight. I want to get better. I don't want to die, but I don't want my physical body to change, which we both know does not, doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. yeah. How did you deal with what I consider probably like the biggest kick in the head ever, the weight gain? So I think for me personally, a huge part of my recovery was understanding what an eating disorder is, where it comes from 
and the biological part of it. And so there's two things that you have to do. First is you have to understand what an eating disorder is. And then you have to tackle, you know, like Tabitha Farrar says, like, I feel like it's like Shan Geisinger and Tabitha Farrar. <laughs> like Shan Geisinger has this like, you know, evolutionary biological base of why do we have eating disorders? What's happening in your body? Where do they come from? Because you have to know that to know how to get rid of it. And then Tabitha comes in with a like neural rewiring and like how to actually physically take those steps, right? And I feel like the combination of that was really crucial for me. And so the first part would be the evolutionary biological part, which we know now that eating disorders are caused by weight loss, by energy deficit. We know this. Knowing that, it's common sense that to undo that takes weight gain. You have to come out of the energy deficit. It's a have to. If that's what caused it, to get out of it, you have to fix that, right? So that's just like the common sense part that I kept in the back of my brain. And then there's the actual physical step that you have to take, which is not compensating, not going backwards. And for me personally, like I can remember in the beginning, oh man, in the beginning, it was so hard when your stomach's not concave, when you lose a thigh gap, when, when those signifiers, you know, because I was a big body checker. I, I wrote an essay in, in my book about, you know, all of the, of the things that I used to touch and feel on my body and they had to feel a certain way, touch a certain, like everything had to be a certain way on this bone, on that bone, on this wrist, on that thigh, like, and once they started, each one of those, when they started disappearing was its own trauma. Like that's a lot of trauma right, to go through. And eventually I realized every time I went through it, I had to tackle it as its own thing. So like every five pounds was its own. Every thigh, I lost a thigh gap. It was its own thing. All of a sudden my arms, which I was always sensitive about my arms, were growing again. And that was its own thing. And I just had to learn to, A, first I tried to, I don't know if you did this, but I tried to cover all my mirrors. And that's when I was with my trauma therapist and not my eating disorder therapist. And and that therapist was, was pretty triggering as far as my eating disorder went because she was very, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, holistic and all that kind of stuff. But she was very, like, like, don't eat the peanut butter. There's additives. And I was like, oh, my God, I just ate my first tablespoon of peanut butter in, like, 19 years. Now you're telling me it's bad. Like, so it, she just kept setting me back in these little ways, right? I found that I always tried to dress my skinniest whenever I went to see her and, and all those little things. And and so finally I realized I, I tried and she said, maybe cover all your mirrors. And I did that. But, damn it, there's mirrors everywhere the mirrors at the you know store there's reflections at work there's the your window of your car as you're walking up to it you can't get away from that so trying to avoid it might work for a short term in your house but like in the long term that was not helpful for me so finally i i moved into the phase of like post-it notes sticky notes i started like putting them everywhere I, I put them in the mirror so that when i would see my reflection i would see the note 
And I would put something on that note. I don't even remember now what I would put, you know, affirmations or something about why I'm growing my body, why I'm choosing bigger thighs, what my bigger arms are giving me. And then eventually post-it notes don't stick forever. They started falling off shit and, and then they just made a mess in my house. And I started being able to have that conversation by myself. And I've talked about this a lot on my TikTok. This is, that's what worked for me. If I saw my double chin, all the women in my family have it. Of course I'm going to have it. But when I saw it, it would devastate me. And my first thought was always, don't eat breakfast now. Don't eat breakfast now, you idiot. Why would you eat breakfast? Why would you eat breakfast when you're getting a double chin? What is wrong with you? Which is like everything every female in my family ever said, right? Growing up, just replaying in my head along with all the eating disorder thoughts. And if you do eat breakfast, you better throw it up and just all of that stuff. And then I'd have to stop myself. And in the beginning, in the beginning, Heather, I couldn't stop myself. I would have the thought, your double chin is big. You shouldn't eat breakfast. I would go in to make breakfast and I wouldn't eat it. And I'd go to work and I'd get to work and I would think, you didn't eat breakfast. You did not eat breakfast. You saw your double chin and you didn't eat breakfast. Well, that was wrong. I knew that was wrong, right? So then I would go through my day and I would eat my next meal that I could. But I skipped my breakfast. And then eventually what would happen is I would see my double chin in the morning. And I would say, you can't eat breakfast today. You can't eat breakfast today. Look at that double chin. And then I would go to make my breakfast. And I'd be like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. White knuckle it, white knuckle it, white knuckle it. And I would eat the breakfast, right? And so that's kind of how that path worked for me. It was always like, first you have to notice you're thinking it. Because a lot of people think, look at that double chin. Don't eat breakfast. And they don't even acknowledge that they're thinking it. They're just letting that thought linger and then they're not eating the breakfast. So the first thing is you have to acknowledge you're having that thought that your brain is telling you not to eat breakfast because of that double chin or the thigh gap or whatever it is. Once you acknowledge a thought's happening, you might still skip breakfast and you might think of it later. Instead of thinking of it when I get to work, maybe I see my double chin and I skip breakfast. And then as soon as I get in the car and start it, I'm like, oh my God, you idiot. You didn't eat breakfast. You were supposed to eat breakfast anyway. And eventually it might get to the point where I don't eat a full breakfast. But I'm like, you can't eat breakfast. You have a dog. I have to eat something. Okay. Just eat a piece of dry toast. Right? It was always baby steps for me. I didn't just jump into the weight gate. Everything was so fucking slow for me. And eventually what would happen was I would see the double chin and I would be like, you shouldn't eat breakfast. You shouldn't eat breakfast. And then I would think, okay, but we did that. And then we regretted it. And we're doing recovery now. We're trying something different. And if I don't eat breakfast, then my kids are going to grow up and get an eating disorder and not going to know how to recover because I didn't recover. So I need to eat that breakfast. I hate it. I don't want it. It sucks. But that is what I you know, committed to do. And eventually, I would eat the breakfast anyway. And it sucked and it was horrible. And a lot of people feel like it has to feel right. It doesn't have to feel right. It's going to feel wrong the whole fucking way. It's going to feel wrong the whole fucking way. There's nothing about recovery that ever feels right. No food, no meal, no weight gain, nothing. Every pound felt wrong. Every pound was scary. Every pound I cried. I spent 250 bucks once on Shein dresses because I was just so over trying to find clothes. And then I cried trying every one of those on. I think I have a TikTok about it. I cried on every one of those dresses because honestly, it was ridiculous. Every one of them. I, and it was... The whole haul was ridiculous, but it was just like, nothing is going to feel right. I kept searching. Maybe she and dresses will make the weight cane feel right. 
maybe if I say this, the weight gain will feel right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right until the very end when you're fully recovered and you look back. But all the way through those three years, all the way to my last five pounds of weight gain, it didn't feel right. And it was horrible and it felt wrong. But at some point, you've got to commit to eating anyway, right? That's where that commitment comes in. But for me, it came in baby steps. Everything was baby steps. So did you ever go through, because I did, right in the beginning of recovery, I started with, I don't know why, cereal. I should have taken out stock in cereal. I'd be so freaking rich right now. It's not even funny. And I don't, and not with milk. I just ate dry cereal. And then I would add nuts or gummy bears because I'm a candy person. I've always been a candy person. Mm -hmm. And I thought, oh, okay. So it's like my, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. like Chex Mix. I ate a lot of Chex Mix. Chex Mix, you should sponsor me. And mm -hmm. like mi mix every flavor known to man. And that worked for a bit. But when I got out of that, I kind of went on this what do you want to call it? Like a food high. Everything, like, I always laugh at food challenges because I'm like, well, if you come from our world, freaking every food is a food challenge, right? When you're not eating anything, mm -hmm. like it all sucks. But I would get on these, I don't know, maybe it was the sugar because I was eating so many freaking cookies, but you kind of <laughs> get on like, hey, I ate a cookie. I can mm -hmm. keep going. And like, did that ever happen to you? Like, you kind of go on what they call, like, the pink mm. cloud. Everything's okay. Yeah, like, like the calm, happy eating, like the honeymoon phase. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like a honeymoon phase where all of a sudden you can have cereal again. You go, oh, my God, I can have cereal. I can have cereal whenever I want. I'm going to eat all the cereal. I'm having all the cereal. And sometimes it's really scary, but when you're in the honeymoon phase, it's just good. You're just eating all cereal. You're just eating, and and cereal is a huge one. They should make a recovery cereal. They 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 would I'm sell box, the do. boxes or like a recovery Chex Mix or something. They could add the Sour Patch Kids into the Chex Mix, right? And just yeah, absolutely, I would buy it. And it it I think we all go through that absolutely, and I did go through that. And the cereal, I did have a when I quit chewing and spitting, I had to get rid of all the cereal in my house because it was a huge trigger for me. I would come home from work on my 30 minute lunch, 45 minute lunch break and chew and spit an entire box of cereal into my sink and then pray it didn't stop up and then go back to work. And so when I tried to stop chewing and spitting, I had to get rid of all the cereal for a while and then slowly bring it back in and save for cereals first that I didn't usually chew and spit and then different ones and then pretty soon all of them. But once I let go with the cereal, a honeymoon phase hit and everything was so new. It's like a toddler when they get their first like happy meal, right? That's what it, it, my therapist once told me that. How many people get to rediscover what they love? How many people get to discover new foods again? And it's kind of like that when you come out of a long-term restrictive eating disorder because we haven't had those foods in a long time. And if we did, it was so shrouded in guilt and shame that we didn't really get to experience it, right? And so if you do hit that honeymoon period, and not everybody does, but if you do get that, it is a wonderful feeling of free. It's like, finally, I get to actually feel this, taste this, have this. Like It's like what you feel like other people feel. 
But really, I don't think other people feel that because they don't come from that history. And I, so I don't think that they actually have those experiences. Yeah, it's like going to Disneyland, right? Like, if you've never been to Disneyland, if you, it, it's it's something else. And I remember, mm-hmm. and I did a video, I went to Krispy Kreme, and I live in Canada. There's no Krispy Kremes in Canada. I have one four blocks from my house. So, and I remember walking through the door and smelling that aroma, and I was like, oh. And... Yeah, there's nothing like it, a Krispy It was Kreme a smell. lot. And then I was on the donut <laughs> phase. I probably paid Krispy Kreme's mortgage for a while. And... But like everything, the honeymoon phase mm-hmm. crashes, right? It lifts. It's It's got to go, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see everything for what it is. So for me, that's where everything went to shit, right? I'm like, I, mm-hmm. I can't. I can't keep doing this. I can't. And I was good with, and, and maybe we could talk about this. I, haha. <laughs> Was still weighing myself. Don't do that. No. And (laughs) no, it's like punishment. It's punishment. Mm -hmm. But for the first little bit, I could take on. I knew in my head, okay, well, you got some weight to gain. Like, no big deal, right? Like, I could take on like the two pounds, the three pounds. But then I don't know what happens to your body. That two pounds a week turns into every other day. So how does that work? Like, oh my God, Heather, I remember feeling that same way. I remember feeling the same way of like, okay, I can eat and this is honeymoon and wonderful because I would feel safe if I weighed XXX. That, that'll be a safe ending goal for me. So I'll just have fun. Cause that'll be, I, I'll, I can live in that body and not be miserable. I, I can do that. I can be a mom and a grandma in that body and that XXX body and that'll be okay. So, and then you hit that and then you're not done. And then you're kind of like, oh, shit, now what? Oh, shit, I'm here and all the thoughts are still here, but I'm at that weight. I said I would never go over. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I am 30, a little over 30 pounds from the weight I said I would never go over <laughs> my recovery from my end goal. Not the weight I started out, but like from my end goal. So like every few pounds after that, I was like, oh, shit, okay, maybe this is where I'll end. Okay, because that's when shit got real. When you when you hit the weight that your brain was like, that's the that's it, that's the end weight, and then all of a sudden you have like a bowl of cereal and it jumps up a lot, and you're like, oh shit, oh shit, my pants don't fit. Oh my gosh, what's happening now? And every few pounds you're just panicking. This must be my set point. This must be my set point. This must be overshoot. This must be overshoot. So for me, I don't know about you. But I look at food and I gain weight. So I guess that's good in the recovery land. But I I was just like, how how's this still going? So and ta- I'm thinking So I want to tackle that thought because if you look at food and you gain weight, you're not at your set point. If you're at your set point, you can look at food, eat food, not eat food, and your body stays. That's the difference. So your true set point, your true set point, which for me, so much bigger than I thought it would be, right? 35 pounds more than my, because I gave my dietician that number. I was like, this is the number at which I'm out. This is the Mm -hmm. number at which 
I think my family genetically should have me at. This is my genetic set point. And, uh, and if I have to go over that, I'm done. <laughs> she was just like, okay, you know, just start. She was the sweetest human. Okay, let's just get there and we'll see how you feel. Well, I got there and I felt like shit. But I could have looked at food and gained weight because I still had 35 more pounds to gain, right? And so I wasn't there. I didn't want to accept it. It was hard to accept. It was horrible to accept because until you're at your set point, your eating disorder is still alive. So now it's your worst nightmare because you have an eating disorder in a bigger body, right? Now you have all the same eating disorder thoughts, but you're in a bigger body, which is like your eating disorder's worst nightmare. It's, it's the worst is the last weight that you have to gain. The worst. So when... Like for me, right in the beginning, like of recovery and gaining very quickly. And I'm, like you, I'm thinking I'm out at this point. Well, that came pretty freaking quick. And I know not everybody's the same body and not everyone's going to gain at the same rate. But for someone like me, who is an all-star, like how do you keep moving forward? Right, because yeah. So you, so I'm thinking. Me, well, this sh- should have taken me like three months to hit this mark. Yeah, and I and got it in. Uh, not three months. Yeah, I'm sure you get that question a lot too. We, I mean, that's a very common question because everybody. It doesn't matter if you gain a pound or twenty. Everybody thinks it comes on fast. Everybody's like, "Holy shit, it's all coming on now!" But they just a might not realize how much they really need to gain. Right. So for me, I thought it all came on really quickly and it did. But also when I looked at the total that I had 70 pounds or whatever that I had to gain, did it all come on in the beginning? No, it's just that I was in the center. So it felt like it did, but I still had a lot more gaining to do. You know what I mean? It's like, it might feel like a lot came on, but really you have a lot more to go. So you have to also look at it that way. Or you may have gained it all in the beginning. Maybe you did, but the end, the end point is the same and that's your set point. So it really doesn't matter when you gain it. If you gain it fast, you'll recover faster because you'll hit your set point faster. You'll normalize your hormones and brain chemistry faster. So you're just going to start feeling better quicker. If you gain quicker, it's more terrifying, of course, right? But that is how it goes. We all end up at our set point, except for a very few, you know, percentage of people that do have those kind of genetics in their family for binge eating disorder or bodies that don't tend to have set points or they store fat differently. I don't want to discount those humans ever. I, I, I get really frustrated when people just talk about set points or extreme hunger without remembering that there is that small percentage of people that that can happen to. And, and I always feel bad because if I do forget to acknowledge that, then somebody will come in my comments and say, what about me? This happened. And I feel bad because I believe them. That does happen. It can happen. But it's not the norm for 95% of us. For 95% of us, we're just going to came to our set point. Personally, what helped me at that time when my body was larger and growing was I just had to sit back and think, when I'm a grandma and 
I don't think I'm going to be a grandma, Heather. Neither of my kids want kids. But if I'm a grandma, I I started looking into the world at older humans, older women, right, to, to kind of see. And when I would see in skinny women, older, they always appeared rigid, not so comfy, cozy, kind, right? And I know I'm projecting. When I saw larger women in normal size bodies, right? Because larger bodies are more normal. The bell curve is on the larger side of the BMI, if we're being real. real. It's not where we have it set now. Those humans always looked kinder, gentler, softer, more loving to me. And I thought, if when I should have grandkids, as I grow older, which kind of human do I want to be? Do I want to be the smaller bodied human that's cold all the time and can't eat cookies or share cupcakes with my grandkids? Or do I want to be the larger, soft grandma? They can make cookies and enjoy food and be a soft place to fall for people because I can actually hear what they're saying. Because in my small body, I was consumed. I didn't have time for them. My oldest went through so much trauma in their teen years and I was not there for them because I was consumed with my own brain and my own thoughts. You know, so I just tried to really think about what is my end game? Is my end game to be in a small body? or to be a better human and have a better life, right? So it's hard when you're in that body and you're having those eating disorder thoughts, but when we have eating disorder thoughts, it shrinks in. It shrinks into right now. We're like right here, this meal, this thought, this weight, this number, this calculation. And when you're in that, you have to try to expand out, try to get out of that little bubble. And think about the big picture, the end game, your goal. What do you want to be? Where do you want to be? Because that's what's going to move you forward, right? Not that number, that calculation, that weight, that whatever, that scale. All those things are right here, tiny. That's not where we want to live. That's not where we live, right? Everyone else is out there looking at you like, why are you living right here? (laughs) And that's not where anyone else is but us. So we need to look out there and realize, oh, my kids are there. Oh, my husband is there. They're all watching me, staring at this number, counting my peas, right? Cutting my carrots in two because I can't eat, you know, a whole one. And so we really just need to look out. And that's what helped me really thinking about that. I had an elderly neighbor when my kids were younger. Her name was Bonita. And I used to always take the kids over there when I would shovel the walk for her. And she was a, a larger woman and she had these big bosoms and she used to hold my kids like this. And she used to say that she was magical because no matter if they were crying, colicky, she could hold them and they would just fall asleep. It was just love. And I thought, that's what I want to be. That's who I want to be. I don't want to be the skinny body that has to be wrapped in a warm blanket that can't hold the baby through you know it's just bones I want to be the big body that's a soft place for them to fall yeah that's that's lovely that's really lovely that that and so how 
how did you get to that point? Like, were you in a lot of like, is this a lot of therapy? If you don't mind sharing, like, how do you, I know it's like new, newer, new neural pathways and you got to retrain your brain. Is there something that you yeah. read every night or journal? Did something Yeah, so it you? was a, yes, it was a, a lot. So I had to get rid of my triggering therapist. And it was hard because I had a couple years with her. And I and it I think it broke her heart. She was sad. I had to get rid of I had a dietitian that thought it would be a good idea for me to get a food scale. I had to get rid of her. And I found Shan, I started researching what causes this, what's happening to me. And that's when I started researching Shan Geisinger stuff. And when I read that, it was like, that's me. That is me. It's primal. It, this is what's happening. And then I got my new dietitian. And with my new dietitian, I was telling her about the stuff I read about Dr. Geisinger. My dietitian said, you know, she lives in our town, right? And I was like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? So I begged her to take me on. Like I begged her. She was not taking on new clients. And I was like, please. And my dietitian went to bat for me. And I started seeing her. And I, of course, I knew Tabitha's stuff. And Tabitha and Shan did some podcasts. And I, like, like hypnosis, I would listen to Tabitha and Shan's podcast at night to fall asleep. I would put my earbud in. I would fall asleep to those podcasts. If I was having an issue with extreme hunger, I would fall asleep to that. If I was having issues with body, I would fall asleep to that. I was listening to that. And, you know, I don't know if you were on Proana sites, but for me, I lived on them. I lived on the Proana stuff. God, I, I haven't. I should, I should go peek in there and see what's in there these days. I lived in there. And then slowly I moved from the Proana, because the Proana sites even have a recovery section. So I moved from the Proana section of the Proana site to the recovery section of the Proana site. Then from the recovery section, I realized, wait, there's recovery content on YouTube. Wait, there's recovery content on Instagram. I didn't know that stuff existed. I found Jen Bretty. I don't know who, if you know who she is. She doesn't do recovery content anymore, but she, Jen Bretty and Meg Z Recovery both were on YouTube. They did a lot of YouTubes at that time. And I would watch them and watch them and watch them. And um, I know Meg Z Recovery was hard for me because she was still in a slender body. And that was always a little bit difficult for me, you know, to watch someone eating cake, but in a small body. And I really kind of struggled with that. But also... It gave me a better view of like, then there was Jen Bretty that was in a larger body, but recovered. So I started seeing like the different types of recovery content that was. And so it was just like a progression. And then I started consuming recovery content instead of anorexia content, right? I started seeing the professionals and I started like incorporating what people were telling me to do. And then like you, I found Tabitha's book and I started, and I read her book, Love Fat First, which, which, um, talks about actually her eating disorder and what she went through, which was an amazing book. And and then I read the same book that your Bible is my Bible. That's what I read. And I had just as many notes in it. And, you know, so I think all of the same things that you're doing, it's just these slow steps. And then I started incorporating it. I tried, you just keep trying things. I tried covering my mirrors. It didn't work. I tried post-its. I tried talking back to myself. And then I would go to my therapist or my dietitian. And what I did find lacking, and I know it's what you probably also found lacking, was other humans. So, like, if something didn't work and I wanted to try something, I didn't have anyone to bounce shit off of. I didn't have anyone to say, hey, this didn't work for me. What about you? 
I, I love what I eat in a daze. They really work for me. What do you think about them? Right? There was none of that really. Everything was like really black or white. Like people were really negative or like there was no middle ground in conversation and there was nowhere to just have that conversation. There was no humans because the few recovery humans that I did reach out to, they never responded to me. I reached out to a couple of dietitians and a couple other people like in their comments or their DMs and said, I'm going through this. Can you please give me? Never. Nobody responded or they were just like a heart, you know, or like, and I thought, God, there's got to be something better than that. And so just talking to people in DMs and communicating with other people and what's helping them and then slowly step by step. And that's all that it was. And just like you and where you're at, I remember thinking, I'm never going to get to the fucking end of this. I'm always going to be right here. Like, like, I feel like I'm never going to get to the end. But then on the other hand, if you keep going forward and you don't go back, you have to get to the end. That's the only place. There is nowhere else. So as long as you don't go back and you keep adding the next pound and you keep eating the next thing you're afraid of, you'll get there because that's the only place to end, right? Because you're not going bad. So you have to get to the finish. So I just kept telling myself that. It's miserable, it's horrible, I hate this, but I'll just do this one more pound. Just do this one more pound, one more pound. Then I do that pound and I would go to my dietitian and I would say, I'm out, I'm never fucking eating another thing, I can't do it, I'm not doing it. And she'd hand me a booster and in short, she'd say, just a minute. She'd leave the room and she'd come back and she'd hand me one of those things. She'd go here. And then I'd drink it and I'd be pissed and we'd talk and I'd go home and I'd eat my next meal. And then I'd go back again and I'd say, I can't do it. I gained another pound. I can't do it. And so you just do it pound by pound by pound. There's no like, for me, for me anyway, there was no like, I did it with this therapist. I did it with this dietitian. I did it with this book. It was just like, I did it. I had, I got a pound. I thought I was going to die. It was the end of the world. I realized I could handle that pound and then I got another pound and then I gained it. You know, that's all it was one by one misery by misery. Yeah. And you touched on the Bible rehabilitate, rewire, recover by top of the far. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember the page. It's like one fifty four or something. I did a video about it, but that fuck it theory. Holy crap. I read that over and over and over. I'm like, every time Slick, my eating disorder voice, was talking, and I'm mumbling, and I swear like an Osborne, I admit it, right? But I'm walking through my house, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, fuck it, right? Like I got Tourette's or something. And I'm like, no, but I had to keep saying that. And just like you, I watched YouTube videos. I found you and Tabitha, and there was a couple other people, but like, mm -hmm. I didn't really, because of my, I, I have a certain what do you want? I don't connect with everybody on this planet. Right. And that's fine. Everyone's not everyone's for everybody, but the ones that I did, I, I would fall asleep to them. I had to, it is almost like trying to learn a new language. Like if you want to learn French, yeah. you kind of got to immerse yourself. Right. That's and so true. That's a great analogy. Yeah. You know, so even though, you know, it gets repetitive, right. But, just because it worked that hour doesn't mean it's going to work the next hour. Right. And it's just annoying. Like I'm never going to 
and I'm honest about it. I talk about how much I love recovery. Fucking hate recovery. But <laughs> like I've never yeah. gotten to be the spokesperson ever because I'm like this is bullshit. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. but what where I was in my eating disorder, what was my alternative? Mm-hmm. Wasn't good. Yeah, it wasn't fun. Right. Were you having fun? Were no. you having a good time? No, and and you yeah. and you forget you romanticize that so much right that you're like everything's great because i'm this size and blah 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 and you can't think you can't sleep you're cold you're bony can't sit on a chair can't sit in the tub mm-hmm. right fall through a toilet seat yeah. and you know like and you're not even happy with your size no because there's always something bigger and better mm-hmm. it's a game mm-hmm. right and the only person winning the game is going to be slick so I, I make, I'm, I mean, I make horrible jokes, but it's like, yeah, I, I was going to be skinny. All right. I literally was yeah. going to the skinniest I could get, which was going to be a skeleton yeah. six feet under. Yeah. And you know and, where that comes from is because of the whole reason that we have it, right. Is the migration. And because our brain feels like we're in a famine environment, which we've self-induced a famine environment, we keep going and going and going until the famine is over. But because it's self-imposed, the famine never ends. So we just keep going. And that's why no weight is ever good enough. And no, you know, calorie amount is ever low enough. It's because we've self-induced this famine and it there's no end to it until we gain the weight. Yeah, like, and I... I always say, I'm like, I don't have the magic answer for how someone can recover. The only thing I can Mm -hmm. ever say to somebody is you got all the power, man. Like if you choose you that you're, you're winning. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. where, like, and you brought it up with like talking to uh, trying to find people in our village to talk to. And I got, yeah, buy my course for $500 a month. And I'm like, I don't Mm -hmm. even know you. Who are you? Yeah. Right. Like, like, yeah, I can counsel you. Well, you better dig up Freud because that's who I need. And (laughs) like, you're not it. And why am I paying you a thousand dollars? Yeah. Like that, that part always kind of like got to me, but I appreciate you. And when I found you by the universe, um, because I clearly wasn't in recovery and I had a different account and, you know, I reached out to you and you reached out back. It was like Canadian Thanksgiving. I looked it up and uh, <laughs> I did. And it was like 20, 2021, 22, something like that. What year is it? 2024. So it must've been 2020 Thanksgiving, 2022. Cause I went to the hospital in June. So our Thanksgiving's mm-hmm. October. And that's when, things started moving along for me slowly <laughs> but, hey everyone's on their own journey yeah everyone's on their own journey everyone gets there eventually so again mm-hmm. it does and you got to rewire like and if you are not ready to lay down that sword you're not getting anywhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i was too busy battling so tell everybody again where they can find you on social media uh you can go to tiktok recovery mom and i think it's recovery mom underscore i don't know heather honestly i never 
when I had social media, I didn't expect anyone to come hang out with me. So I don't know. I don't, I don't ever say like, subscribe, come, whatever. I don't do any of that. If people find me, it's kind of like my, um, I don't mean to tangent, but I, it, it's kind of like my coaching that I, that I do. I don't advertise it. I don't put it out there. I always thought if somebody went through the avenues it probably took to find it schedule than it was meant to be right because I'm just I'm just me and I'm just chilling so if they find my social media they'll find it <laughs> well go find her because it's worth it it's worth it thank you again recovery mom for hanging out with us absolutely That's all for this episode of 1% Better. To continue the conversation, head over to our website at www.1percentbetter.ca, where you can access more stories and resources. We'd also love it if you subscribed and left us a review on your favorite podcast platform. And remember, friends, progress takes patience, perspective, and sometimes a little help from people who get it. So be kind to yourself and others as we work to get 1% better every day. We'll see you back here next week.